This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. They uncovered a latent fingerprint from one of the envelopes containing an IED that had been sent to Congresswoman Maxine Waters. We have confirmed this fingerprint is that of Cesar Sayoc. There is also a possible DNA connection between samples collected from pieces of two different IEDs. Well, there you go, Christopher Ray. earlier this afternoon, acting director of the FBI, and uh, this one seems to be a slam dunk at this point, notwithstanding, of course, that the guy also had overt signs that showed he had animus towards people like Hillary Clinton, CNN, signs on his white van uh, apprehended in Florida, CNN sucks, might have been a flag to a lot of folks, uh, certainly cast him into suspicion, but uh, there was a rather rapid turnaround on this one, if we've got the right guy, uh, and who else but this guy at this point. Uh, he is the alleged Cesar Sayoc, 56, of Aventura, Florida, just north of Miami. And so it was good police work, I guess, uh, drilling down on this investigation and turning it around rather rapidly. Uh, whereas, you know, the Unabomber, that took years in the solving, and it was his brother that blew the whistle on him, I guess, because he recognized the text uh, in one of his ominous letters. But let's find out how this all plays out from the inception of the first threats to a resolution of sorts. I mean, again, there's a presumption of innocence, yada, yada, yada. But joining me on the line is the former FBI agent, Jonathan Gilliam, who served with the FBI between 2005 and 13 in their New York office on criminal and counterterrorism squads. Mr. Gilliam, good to have you on the Oakley Show here in Toronto. Good afternoon. It's great to be with you, John. Thank you for having me. Got to ask you, I mean, uh, you impressed with the rapid turnaround by your former colleagues? Yeah, they did a good job. You know, I mean, this, uh, considering that uh, an, in, an individual, I like the way you said that because, you know, innocent until proven guilty as of right now, um, it seems that there's some evidence pointing to him. But it's uh, it, they did a good job of taking these um, these devices and uh, that did not uh, detonate. I don't even know if they were inert or not. But regardless, they they literally had it's, you know over a half dozen devices to look at, and I figured there would probably be some evidence in there, strong evidence, DNA, fingerprints, something that would be on there that would point them to somebody the type of envelope alone that he used and the stamps and all that stuff and the electrical tape is ripe for collecting fingerprints of DNA. Well, in the fact, the fingerprints, uh, they had to be on file already because the guy had a fairly checkered past and uh, I guess right. a, a fairly long rap sheet from what I understand. So uh, just finding a match now. Uh, so the investigative work that the FBI does now with, uh, you know, modern science and all the rest and technology, uh, it does bring people rapidly in from, you know, uh, the outside. I cited off the hop that uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, uh, that took yeah. several years to actually uh, get a handle on that guy, right? Yeah, and Ted Kaczynski was methodical in the way that he uh, did things. But also, you got to remember, Ted, Ted Kaczynski's um, devices actually exploded. So there was less to go on in his case, but... Uh, it, there was in in what is typically uh, 
the end game for all these people is there's a need. If they're that passionate, they're going to uh, send out uh, an explosive. They want their message heard, and if their message isn't being felt, then they're going to um, they're going to go out and say something about it. That's why terrorists make claims when they do things. That's why Ted Kaczynski came out and wrote his manifesto. Thank goodness his brother you know, was able to uh, to read that and figure out who it was. You tell us about the psychology of these individuals. I mean, at some point, uh, how early on in an investigation do you start to bring in psychological profilers or uh, work that angle? Or is it concurrent to all the other stuff? Well, in this type of case, they're involved, you know, right from the start. I mean, one single day, we had over a half dozen of these devices um, arrive at, at locations. And what's interesting for me from the profile, I've been um, highly critical of the media and myself and uh, the way this has been covered because they they just don't want, from an investigative standpoint, you have to look at all angles. And uh, for me, uh, I thought it was just an interesting thing for one individual to be able to make these, uh, to employ, to, to do a covert plan, to actually get the addresses for all these uh, locations and and accurately covertly send these through the mail and get them to the addresses it was i mean that's quite a feat for one person to do so i would still like to find out if there were anybody else involved in this because that's a lot for one person uh to get done you know it's interesting that you say that because for a lot of people you know they apprehend this white van it's got these stickers that i mentioned before you know anti-obama anti-hillary clinton cnn socks and right away uh it fits the narrative confirmation bias so it's an open and shut case and you're saying you got to retain an open mind as an investigator as an investigator you can't just say what the media likes to do uh which they did the same thing in the boston bombing you know they got the second brother and they say, oh, this is done, and everybody, the media says that, and then people go out and clap as the cops leave. Well, there's no magic ball that says that, that the Sarnef brothers were acting alone. We may never know if, if that was actually the case or not, but I know with, uh, with this individual, um, we, we should not just sign off and say they got the guy. You know, you have to be, until you get all the facts in you, and you close the case, you have to remain uh, open to other possibilities. Well, as an investigator, or uh, at one time being, and now understanding your colleagues as well, how much frustration is there with the media for uh, making, say, let's say, uh, leaps of faith or assumptions or taking the ball and running wildly off in different directions? And social media is also involved in that, and you get conspiracy theorists taking root and all the rest. Uh, how frustrating is that? Well, from, from the investigative standpoint, they don't pay attention to that unless they are tasked with monitoring the social media uh, to, to, to get clues if that's the case. Maybe they, we have ways that we can scrub social media um, backwards to see if uh, this individual was doing anything or the people that were contacting through social media. And so we, we do have uh, ways to do that. What, what, what does worry me over the past um, couple of years since I got out in 2013 is when it comes to the FBI, there is political pressure that can be uh, pushed onto these uh, investigators. They won't necessarily feel it, but the, the special agents in charge of the investigation could feel that political pressure. And that is always a worry for me from an investigative standpoint, because politics will stop an investigation in its tracks hmm. uh, if, they, if they can do that. 
Well, yeah, and the public really demands a resolution. I just harken back to just over a year ago, the Las Vegas massacre. A lot of people still feel there haven't been all questions answered, or not adequately anyway. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I, I traveled all over Canada this summer uh, with a part of a, a big country music tour, and I was hired as a director of security for the reason of what happened in Las Vegas. And I, we haven't had any information really released uh, I thought it was very shallow what was released about uh, the individual that they claim was the shooter. And uh, that is, you know, the public sees this. And so their outcry for information, plus we live in a, a world where, you know, the smarter our phones get, the dumber we become because we just automatically believe what's put on there. So the, the, the general public is screaming for information in these things. And that also, I wouldn't say it would, it, it'll guide a, uh, or push an investigation in a direction, but it definitely affects the politics, which could di- directly uh, in, uh, affect the investigation. Well, yeah, it leads to uh, maybe a lack of faith in our institutions, uh, like mm-hmm. the police, a credibility gap, for example. Look, even with this case of the alleged bomber here, uh, some people citing that the signs were too obvious, right there, overtly splashed all over his van, and, uh, you know, there were clumsy attempts at uh, mailing to various, and, and he misspelled the, the name of uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the congresswoman from Florida, with the return address. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of people see that as almost a false flag. Uh, can right. you, yeah, do you understand that yeah, the no, public's no. perception of uh, the competency of uh, the police or the, the lack of information or something, there's a credibility issue? Absolutely, and especially when you've dealt with stories like a false dossier that was created by members of the government these past couple of years that was used to get illegal FISA uh, warrants for um, investigating the president and other people in his his cabinet and his uh, when he was running for president. That caused the American people to question even further the government. And uh, you know, I'm here. I, I was on the radio when the stuff was was coming over. And we were speculating because the more pictures I get into this van, first of all, where did these pictures come from? Because they were already on the Internet before the uh, the van was even on the, the truck being hauled away. But it, I, I lived in Florida for a little bit, and there's no way that pictures like that could exist on a window in a van without being faded within a couple of weeks. And those were so precisely done, it looked like somebody made a, uh, a super – uh, what what the what the left uh, political left in this country would um, if they were going to do a parody of a, a, a right wing conservative, they would have a van that looks just like that. So it was a little bit, and a lot of people are saying that it's a little bit too good to be true. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see what the what the investigation says. Well, Jonathan Gilliam is with us, former FBI agent on this matter, stateside of the alleged pipe bomber. Uh, The case, though, that you cited just a moment ago, the fake dossier, you know, this is something, unless you're really following it here from this Canadian uh, vantage point, is not a big story. And stateside even, uh, you know, there are very few people who are playing this up for what it's worth. I mean, this was something bought and paid for by the DNC, the Hillary Clinton campaign, and it was the premise upon which these warrants were sworn out against various individuals to be able to uh, wiretap and spy on Trump operatives or people close to the Trump campaign, it seems like this has really grossly helped to undermine confidence in certain institutions in America. 
Yeah, and I think this is something that definitely that uh, Canadians can understand is that there's there's such a divide in politics now from the left and the right that reality gets lost in the middle. And uh, people's ability to communicate with each other when they may have actually the same ideas for how government should work and the same they understand the same problems. But when it comes to issues like this dossier and the rhetoric, uh, Donald Trump gets blamed for a lot of rhetoric. But the reality is um, the Democrat Party has been just, if not more, vile in their rhetoric. And the media is responsible for pumping all of it up. So we've got issues uh, globally, not just the United States, with how these politicians are now. And uh, I don't like it. I, I think the majority of people uh, in Canada and the United States probably feel the same way about politics. And it's, um, it's a weird state of affairs considering the fact that 17 years ago, this country, uh, and really the whole world was attacked by terrorism. And since that point, our phones have gotten smarter and people are able to research enough to where they get a fuzzy picture. It's like the smarter our phones get, the more information we get, the less clear the pictures are um, when it comes to these events that continuously happen in politics. Well, yeah, it's polarized the political camps and coarsened the public discourse, uh, which is unfortunate. I don't know if there's any return from where we're now headed. Uh, but I appreciate your coming on and answering more questions than uh, pertaining to this alleged bomber. Uh, certainly very fascinating to get that from a former FBI agent. Appreciate your time this afternoon here on The Oakley Show, Jonathan. You got it. And anytime you guys name me, let me know. And if, if everybody... Uh, could go order my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. It's available on Amazon. And all the Canadians that I met while I was traveling, uh, amazing people. Um, I, I would love them to have this so they would be prepared if anything ever happens in Canada. I know it's safe there, but just in case something happens. Well, let me do, uh, you know, and you're right. I, I would ask then finally, because we had an incident last winter where somebody uh, took a van down our main street and uh, killed 10 people, injured uh, numerous others as well. Just a rampage where the guy, uh, again, cited frustration, not being able to find women and so on and so forth, whatever uh, might have gone through his full head at the time. Is there anything a pedestrian can do to foolproof themselves if somebody has the wherewithal to do uh, damage and you know willful carnage? How do you protect against that? Yeah. You you should look at your entire life. I don't care if you live in the safest place in the world. You should look at your life, divide your life up into sectors, and look at each sector as though you were going to attack it. And that way, you can start to understand the type of attacks that could happen to you at work, at home, in your commute, when you're out in the evenings. And for those people that do that, what happens is they're able to mitigate those strategies. And the number one thing you can do as a pedestrian walking down the street is look up from your phone every now and then or understand that if a vehicle was going to come down the road at you, I'm going to move this way to get away from it instead of trying to run uh, with it down the road. Um, in Nice, France, I watched videos of people, a speeding truck is coming down the sidewalk. Instead of running to the left or the right, they tried to run straight, and the truck ran over them. So you have to be aware of, of these types of possibilities, and the way you do that is by taking a bit of time and analyzing your life and uh, doing simple things like understanding that's a threat when you walk in that environment, and I'm going to just look up and look around every once in a while. If something is weird, then I'm going to have a plan already to act. And but then you're living. You're guaranteed. But aren't you then living in a state of perpetual apprehension? No, I'm not. I'm not really. I mean, look, it's the same thing. 
uh, I don't know about Canada, but I know in the United States, we used to sleep with our doors unlocked. Now we don't. I'm sure in Canada, you go to a big city, you take the keys out of your car, you don't leave them in there. And you're doing that for a reason, because you know you've assessed and you said, it's not safe to keep the keys in the car. Somebody may steal it. But you're not going to walk around for the rest of the time you're in the city afraid because your car might be stolen. So it's the same thing with, with the rest of your life. Once you understand where the possibilities are, it's not so much you become paranoid, it's that you become aware, and then if anything ever does happen, you are already in a position to act rather than react. Because when you have to react, you're actually trying to come up with a plan while things are happening, and it's virtually impossible. All right. Situational awareness, then. Uh, that's a good takeaway. Yep. Sheep No More is a book, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. And Jonathan Gilliam is a former FBI agent who's penned the piece. I appreciate you coming on. We'll have to follow up someday down the road, I mean, as the situation warrants. You got it. Thank you very much. You guys have a great weekend. And you. Thank you. Uh, there you go. Jonathan Gilliam, former FBI agent.